Welcome to Improv Interviews with Margot Escott, a psychotherapist in Naples, Florida, who is using her 35 years of experience to develop improvisation programs, benefiting and improving the lives of those with emotional and physical challenges. Improv Interviews brings together the world's leading improvisational theater masters, founders, and innovators who are using improvisation therapeutically in unique and surprising ways. With great guests that include legends like Ed Asner and Aretha Sills, you're sure to learn something new about improvisation. This is Improv Interviews with your host, Margot Escott. Today, we have a really fascinating guest who I met at the wonderful Susan Messing and Rachel Mason's workshop recently. His name is Daniel DeWalt. Welcome, Daniel. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm actually very, very good. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. It was fun getting to know you in the workshop, and now I'm going to get to know you a little bit more today. So okay. let's start off with, you know, when you were a child, were you into being dramatic, or did you start taking acting classes or in plays? What, what happened when you were a kid? Well, as a child, I was, uh, uh, I didn't have a lot of opportunities uh, other than the fact that uh, my mother, one of the bondings uh, opportunities I had with my mom is she was fascinated and intrigued by old movies. And uh, she would let me stay up at night. I was like 10 years old, the only kid with bags under his eyes at school because I'd be up for the late show and late, late show. And we'd watch these old movies and she would... Um, tell me all the history of these actors and their private lives and what other movies they were in and things like that. And, and um, unfortunately, I, cre <laughs> I inherited that behavior. So when I'm watching an old movie with my wife or friends, I'll stop the movie and tell, and tell them uh, things I know about the characters and about their background and so on. But uh, early, uh, I started imitating, when I was about eight or nine, I started imitating other actors on television. And my mother was really uh, encouraging of that. And people would come over and she'd say, hey, do Jimmy Cagney, do, you know, Boris Carla. And so I, I, I did that. But that was the extent of my um, indoctrination at an early age. Uh, other than when I was in fifth grade, my um, fifth grade teacher took us on a field trip to the Lyric Opera to see Carmen. And I just fell in love with it. And uh, that coupled with something that happened in uh, my high school years caused me to really uh, have a, a great affinity for, uh, for, the, for the theater. That's terrific. When I was growing up, there was a mo something called the Million Dollar Movie, and they played the same movie five nights and over the weekend. So I learned shows like uh, Yankee Doodle Dandy with James Cagney and all these great black and white films. So you went to college after high school? What'd no. You do? Uh, no, actually what happened is in high school, I, uh, I actually got kicked out of high school because <laughs> I hated it, and I was working full-time after school to help support the family. Wow. What, what kind of work were you doing? Uh, I was doing uh, newspaper and magazine subscription sales door to door. And during summers, I would go actually cross country with uh, these fly by night groups. And so I learned how to do some spiel and, and talk to strangers uh, that way, I guess. 
but um, so when I went into the Navy, I, I didn't uh, have a high school education, but I had a, in one of my commands, I had a education officer who insisted everybody have a high school education. So I got my GED. And then when I got out of high school, I'm sorry, when I got out of uh, the Navy, uh, I went back and I uh, went to uh, pretty much uh, all African-American college in Norfolk, Norfolk State University, and graduated from there with a business degree. So when you were in the Navy, were you in active duty or? Um, yes, I was two, year, two years in uh, Vietnam. Uh, the second year I was there as a Navy SEAL. I had trained for Navy SEALs. I had wanted always to be a SEAL, and so I did that. And um, then I went, to, after my second year in Vietnam, I went to the uh, East Coast, to Norfolk, Virginia, Little Creek Naval Am Amphibious Base, where I was assigned to Assault Craft Unit 2, um, and I finished my career there. Well, uh, to be a SEAL, a Navy SEAL, is very, very impressive. What a wonderful uh, success that was for you, I guess. I could say it that way. So we're basically the same age because I was draftable if I hadn't been a young girl at the time. I'm, I'm proud to say I'm 71 years old. Hey, we're the same age. When is your birthday? March 31st, 1949. And I'm August 18th, 1949. So well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. So um, what happened after you got out of the Navy? Well, actually, after I got in the Navy, like I said, I started to, uh, I went back to Norfolk to go to college, and I finished my degree in, in uh, about two and a half years. Uh, but while I was there, I got very involved with uh, dogs and started learning how to train dogs. So I supported my first wife and myself uh, through my uh, college years by training dogs. And then when I came back to Chicago, I got a job as a, well, I, I, I became a Chicago police officer uh, and I was still doing my dog training school part-time and I had hired people to train for me. And I actually started the first in-home dog training school in the United States. And um, so, you know, but, af but uh, after a few years, I quit the police force to work on my business full-time uh, and then I did that for about 16 years before I sold the business. When I sold it, I eventually, I, by the time I sold it, I had locations in uh, 10 cities in the United States and, I'm sorry, 12 cities in the United States and Canada. Boy, that is really interesting. You know, I have a Sheltie that needs good training. Uh, <laughs> there's no bad dogs, only really dumb owners. I don't, train, I don't train dogs anymore. I'm very much, though involved in my chosen breed, which is African Basenjis. In fact, they have my shirt on right now. Yes, um, and, Yeah, so, and uh, actually I'm the current president of the Greater Chicagoland Basenji Club. And my wife and I do a lot of Basenji rescue work with uh, Basenji, Basenji Rescue and Transport, which is rat. <laughs> That's wonderful. That is fantastic. So tell me what got you interested in improv? Is it improv or acting or what came first with your interest in- Well, the, the acting and what, like I mentioned, when I was in fifth grade, my teacher took us to see Carmen at Lyric Opera. And, I, like, and I, like I said, I love it. I'm a subscriber. I see four or five operas a year um, currently. And uh, also uh, my best friend in high school is still a good friend, uh, Frank. He, uh, uh, he worked at the Schubert Theater downtown Chicago 
and he would get me in to see uh, the plays for free. And I just loved it. And I had a, I had a really interesting moment. I um, was w watching um, Carol Channing in uh, um, Hello, Dolly. And I was in the wings actually watching because they didn't have any seats left. So I was off to the side behind this curtain close enough to see that at one particular moment, while somebody else is singing and she's giving them stage, uh, she did this weird little thing. All she did was scratch her thumb, like her, she had an itch on her thumb. And all of a sudden the fourth wall came down for me. And I just connected with that, that this is a real person. This isn't a person in a movie uh, that maybe one day I could be in that, in, on a theater. So when I was in college, I, did some plays, uh, and um, but I didn't get into theater until years later. My um, the my overriding passion to this day, uh, since I was in grammar school, has been writing, and so I always consider myself a writer first. So when I was divorced from my second wife, I um, decided I wanted to switch over from all the nonfiction work I was doing. I was writing a lot of uh, magazine articles about businesses, dog training, etc. And I wanted to develop my humor on page. So as an experiment, I gave myself a year to do stand-up comedy. And while I was doing stand-up, one of the comedians came up to me one day and he says, you know, you're not doing regular stand-up. He says, you're kind of doing what they do at Second City. And I said, well, you know, what's that? I, I had heard of Second City. And they said, well, it's, it's improv. And he says, I, I think they have classes there. So I called uh, Second City. They told me I'd have to start a player's workshop of the Second City. Called them up. They sent me the application, signed up, went to my first class, not knowing what to expect. And within an hour, I found my home. I think many of us have that experience. We start improv class and all of a sudden, wow, this is, this is it. I found, my, I found my people. It's terrific. So do you remember who was running Players Workshop when you first started? Oh, yeah. When I was, my first teacher was uh, Doug Vogel. And uh, there's a little story that goes with that. But uh, yeah, the, uh, 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 Josephine Forsberg was still alive at the time. Wow. And so she was running it along with her, her children, uh, Linnea. Uh, I don't know if her husband, Rolf, was passed away yet or not. I, I never met him. Um, anyways, the, uh, you know, so Players Workshop was an arm of Second City for a number of years and then taught all the lower level classes until the training center exploded and ended up doing the lower level class themselves and severing their tie with uh, players. And so players went out of business. But last year, uh, I put together a reunion of the Players Workshop, uh, and we ran it at a very large theater in uh, the northwest suburbs of Chicago uh, at the Met uh, Metropolis Performing Arts Center. And uh, we had uh, quite a few people that showed up for the reunion. I mean, there were over 15,000 graduates of Players Workshop, and uh, we had maybe only about 150 or, or so. And we had a great time with it. And then, play, and then Linnea decided to spring, to use that to springboard a resurrection of Players Workshop. So, they 
So you got uh, a couple of the uh, previous instructors together, specifically Doug uh, Vogel and um, uh, Jeff um, uh, Rogers. And they started classes again at a new location. And then they offered the alumni to take uh, an alumni class, which I did. And then they offered us to take a disc at a discounted rate to start the training over again. So even though I was already a graduate and a graduate of the conservatory at Second City by then, I went ahead and I did the uh, court, the whole program again. And uh, I'm one of four people who've graduated twice from Players Workshop with the last time being pretty much online, but half of our classes were online. So it, back in the beginning when you were studying, who else, was there anybody else at Players Workshop? Yeah, Dave, you name Dave, drop? David Murphy, uh, he's still somewhat connected with them. Um, uh, Tony Alcantar, who lives in Canada now, and he, do, he does a lot of uh, uh, coaching, uh, including uh, voice coaching for the actors for the TV series Fargo. And I'm still in touch with him. Uh, I'm trying to think what other names. Uh, yeah, I had Doug a couple of times, like I said, David Murphy, Tony Alcantar. There was a couple others. I just, you know, I'd have to look at my resume to remind myself of names. Right, that's okay. But I know we, you know, Michael Gelman, who was a lovely gentleman I got to interview. <clears throat> I found his book so helpful. And um, so you were on main stage in shows? Yeah, so I, yeah, when I graduated, so th then I went to conservat uh, Second City and went and uh, got into conservatory and had uh, some great teachers there. Like I said, uh, David, uh, or Michael Gelman, I had uh, Don DiPaolo. And my mentor, uh, Martin DeMott, I had him for a couple of levels. And, uh, you know, Marty was just amazing. And, and today when I teach, I, I kind of, Marty's always there with me. And I, I use a lot of techniques that he taught. Um, uh, one of the overriding ones in my classes is uh, I just feel that anything I teach for the stage also has to have uh, real life applications to it. And uh, that helps a lot of the students that I've had over, over the years. But um, yeah, so I graduated there. Uh, I did some directing uh, uh, with, uh, you know, like a players and a few other places. And uh, I've had some, I've had my share of success. Which what, would you, what would you call a success, Daniel? Well, uh, I worked for Second City Communications for a, a very short time, uh, but they wanted me to close my own business and I wasn't willing to do that. So uh, I just decided to stick with my own company, co uh, My Covered Bridge Incorporated. And over the years, I developed all these divisions, Covered Bridge Studios, Covered Bridge Theaters, Covered Bridge Business Theaters, Covered Bridge Films, um, Covered Bridge uh, Playhouse which uh, I've just recently sold to one of my protege, Christina um, Halloran. Uh, I've worked with her about five years to bring her up. So she bought the company from me, uh, which is a kids theater, a children's theater, a tots theater, and a teen theater. And they, uh, I'm still producer emeritus for that company. And they uh, do uh, eight plays a year. Uh, they're right now in, in rehearsals for four plays. And I still help whenever they they need me. Along well, the road, yeah, along that too. I also one of my divisions, Cover Bridge Productions, had two professional improv troops, Kids on the Bridge for the younger kids, and Graffiti on the Fourth Wall, 
for the uh, adults. And I sold that to uh, a, uh, a man and woman who were with me for about five years. And they, uh, they've taken over. They've done a great job with it. I'm producer emeritus for that corporation, that company as well. And uh, if you look at the background behind me, that's our theater in Tinley Park, Illinois. And uh, so they're still going strong. They're doing some wonderful things and taking what I started and building it even bigger and better. That's tremendous. I've watched some, <clears throat> I've watched some of the graffiti on the fourth wall and it's really brilliant. And I love the style of teaching and producing that you do. And I think that reality-based is so important because I think for a while, improv, I've only been in for about 10 years, but it was just a couple of white guys in making things funny and kind of like, you know, um, comedy sports, fast and funny and all of that stuff. And um, one of the things I like about it is the mindfulness of improv, being in the present moment, reading and feeling the emotions of my par same partner. Um, and I just, I just love some of the things that were in that. And you produced over 130 plays, is that correct? I've directed uh, over 130 plays, uh, some of which I've produced as well. Uh, I, I would say a bulk of them I've produced as well. Uh, many of them for my theater company, which like I said, I just sold recently. And I, I, and I still direct professional theater and community theater. Uh, when the COVID virus hit, I was directing a play called um, Evelyn in Purgatory, which is kind of like a um, breakfast club for with adults, with teachers who are being punished and have to stay, <laughs> stay after school kind of a thing. And uh, we had to postpone it, but in January, we will resume the play. And as a credit to the, to the people in our cast, uh, we've got a wonderful company uh, and, you know, Coverbridge Theaters, uh, every single one of them, uh, except for one, uh, just said that they would, they want to come back and take their roles. The one who couldn't come back was an, a director's assistant. And the only reason she couldn't come back is she joined the Navy. <laughs> was she following in your footsteps? <laughs> I don't know. Well, she, she's always asked me a lot about my Navy career and that, and we helped to see her off. And I, I still contact her while she, I contact, I talked to her a bit while she was in boot camp and she's in training now uh, down in Texas and I stay in touch with her. Well, you probably got hundreds or thousands of former students. Oh, you, you said, you told me you had over 3000 students. Yes, I've had uh, about 3000 students in my career so far. And uh, I, a lot of them stay in touch with me. In fact, recently, one of my students came to me and said that she was think she was probably going to be getting married in 2021, and she wanted me to get ordained so that I could uh, be the uh, so so that I could marry her and her fiance. So I went and I got ordained. So I'm a minister, and I went ahead and or and one of my other students came to me about two months ago. Uh, she's in her mid 20s now, and she was getting married, and she said you know, uh, my fiance and I would like for you to marry us. So two weeks ago, they had their wedding and I had my, my first uh, wedding where I officiated. It was wonderful, just great. Oh, I bet it was a terrific experience. And I know family is very important to you. 
And uh, you're very especially proud of your son, I believe, was that? Yes, my son, John D. Walton, his wife, Allison Bosma, and uh, we have a one and a half year old, uh, I have a one and a half year old granddaughter, uh, Iris. But uh, yeah, John, uh, he, he never wanted to take classes from me. I always asked him, you want to take my classes? He goes, no. But then when he was about 13 or 14, I said, hey, if you're, you know, Second City has high school classes, if your mom and I paid for it, you know, his mother and I were divorced at the time. I said, if your mother and I paid for it, would you take, want to take those classes? And so he did. He signed up and uh, he went through the training there. Then he went through the training at uh, when he got a little older, uh, the, uh, when he went to college. And he, he went to college down in Normal, Illinois, which is a, a bit of a distance. And every Saturday he would take the train in and I'd pick him up at the at the train station, drive him to Second City. He'd take his three-hour class, drive him back, take the train back home. He did that for a year, and uh, he, uh, uh, he he. And then when he got out of college, he uh, started training at I/O in Olympic. He was there a couple of years. He was on uh, a couple of the house teams, but while he was doing that, he started doing these little movies, these little simple but fun movies and uh, mock um, uh, late night talk shows that he would do. They were uh, very funny. Uh, I did one with him up in Canada when we were uh, on a vacation up there. But he, um, uh, I guess he got some uh, exposure to that. And one of his friends, uh, who originally was a second city, who was then working in Amsterdam for uh, a, a very well-known uh, improv theater called Boom Chicago. I don't know if you've heard of that. Uh, they're like the second city of Europe. They had a contract with uh, Comedy Central Europe, so they hired John. So John went and lived there for the better part of a year, uh, doing some improv there, doing some directing and uh, writing and editing for Comedy Central Europe. When he came home, uh, we, his mother and I joked that he, he was home for five minutes and said, I got to move to LA. So he moved to LA. I, we had a great road trip. He bought his mom's car and we did a road trip and, uh, he already had some connections from his training and all that, that people that were already out there. So he worked for a little while, uh, uh as a dog walker and uh, got si signed up for a lot of extra work. So there was like a year he was in every other t TV show and every other movie as an extra, and then started doing stand-up. And from that, he got discovered for his writing ability. He, along the way, met his wife, who they, uh, she was also from Second City and Columbia College, but they had never met there. But anyway, he and Allison, uh, got married. They, um, uh, he started uh, his career by being a, a writer's assistant at Warner Brothers uh, for the TV series Undateable in their first year. And then the second and third seasons, he and Allison were actual write, a writing team. Then they've done a few other sitcoms since then. And now they're, they've just written, um, uh, there's going to be a resurrection on HBO of a new uh, version of Head of the Class. So they just finished writing the first season of that. And then he's got two movies that uh, they've written, um, uh, Bully in Law and uh, Step Gary. 
and there's some well-known actors that are uh, that I'm not at liberty to mention who are reading the scripts on that, and so it looks like those two movies might be a go, and um, they've got some good production companies uh, attached to them, so they've got a great career going, and unfortunately we haven't seen them other than on Zoom uh, since uh, last Christmas. Mm. But they're going to be doing it. They're going to be driving out here around Thanksgiving. We'll have Thanksgiving with them. Oh, that's tremendous. That is wonderful. You must be so proud of them. That's terrific. Yeah, I, I'm very proud of John and Allison. He's really, he's very funny. His mother wanted him to be either in business or a doctor or something. And uh, I think she was a little chagrined at the beginning when he took, uh, became a, got into acting. Uh, but with his success, she's really 100% behind him. And uh, his mother and I, uh, as well as my, my wife, we're all good friends. And in fact, I think we're all going to have Thanksgiving dinner together. And uh, we're 100% behind, behind them. But he's, he's very funny. And he's, so con and it's, it, he's, he's got the personality that got him connected with a lot of uh, big people in, in Hollywood. He, he did it the right way. That's beautiful. And of course, the beautiful Iris. The oh, yeah, my gosh. My, yeah. my granddaughter. He sends us videos like once or twice a week. And she just growing. Watch. She's walking. She's starting to talk. Um, she's beautiful. I bet she is. And yeah, talented, sure. I'm sure. Um, so what year did you start Covered Bridges? Uh, I started cover, my Covered Bridge in 1993. While I was still a student at Second City, uh, I actually the way it started with uh, my first division, which was Coverbridge Studios, uh, I responded to an ad in Performing Magazine, which at the time was a, a very popular uh, magazine uh, newspaper uh, published twice a month that catered to the acting industry in Chicago. Anyway, there was an ad in there. I responded to it. There was some they were looking for somebody to teach some acting classes. So uh, I was one of the few people in my classes at Players and at Second City that I would take notes. And if I didn't take notes during the class, as soon as I got home, I would take notes. And so uh, I signed up and uh, offered a uh, beginner's improv class. And I remember driving to my first class with a legal pad on the chair on the seat next to me making notes of what I wanted to teach in that first class. I had no idea what I was going to start teaching. So while I was driving, I was brainstorming and that's and my classes have developed since then. Since then I have, uh, I do, I teach five levels of improv, beginner, intermediate, advanced, senior, and graduate. And um, I've been doing that since 1993. I'm currently, I currently have one class online and on Monday nights, and uh, I've got uh, people from all over the country in that class. I also have my wife in that class, and it's an advanced, it's an advanced level, yeah. And then I right now I'm just teaching two classes at our theater. No, I'm sorry, teaching three classes at our theater right now. And uh, talking about your improv, are you going to start another session soon, or what level will you be teaching next? I'd love to. Well, take currently I'm teaching a uh, an improv. I'm teaching a beginner's class and a senior level class. And that'll f finish us, finish me up for the fall. In the winter, that beginner's class will become an intermediate class and the senior class will become a graduate class. 
And then I think in, um, I'll be teaching a new beginner's class in the spring. Uh, I kind of rotate it like that. And do we have a link that people can go to to see it? And uh, is the enrollment closed now with your classes that you started? Well, if anybody wanted to sign up for any of my classes, and by the way, I'm going to continue teaching online at least one class uh, a semester. And uh, so anybody anywhere in the world can sign up for that because it'll be through uh, Zoom. Um, all they need to do is to contact me at mycoveredbridge at AOL.com and I'll send them all the information that they, that they need. We do a lot of film work as well. I've written a number of films. I've written many plays and had them produced. And um, I do have a film that I'm in the process of putting together, which I will be directing uh, and producing myself, uh, an independent. Um, and, but we also, besides the improv, we also teach about 20 other uh, acting, improv, and writing disciplines. Um, in the in the spring, I'll be offering a class for more advanced level improv students in uh, uh, puppet improv puppetry, where they'll actually use puppets and use their improv skills with the uh, with puppets. Oh, I love uh, that! That's so much yeah. fun. That's but we've done we we've done classes on uh, what we call radio improv. Uh, using the te the the um, uh, format of old time radio shows like uh, Trevor McGee and Molly and the Vickersons and the Life of Riley, and creating our own uh, you know uh, radio shows. So we've also done um, uh, murder mystery improv, where I teach people how to put together a murder mystery format and improv improvise it uh, through. Uh, an outline that they create for their own particular show. Uh, creating the sitcom, I taught a lot of classes of creating the sitcom where the students create their own sitcom. And then I teach a lot of audition monologue skills classes, um, uh, scene study, different levels of scene study, film, uh, film classes, uh, directing 101, directing 201. Um, this, is a, this is a wide variety, but I can't teach them all at the same time because I don't have that time. And the reason I sold Coverbridge Productions and Coverbridge Playhouse is to give my more time, give me more time for writing, which is what uh, I'm trying to do, trying to get by myself more time to finish a lot of writing projects, including a novel that I uh, that I'm trying to finish now called Father, Sons, and Family Ghosts. <laughs> Well, I'd love to read some of your work. That sounds, and some of the plays that you've written. Is mm -hmm. there a way to take a look at any of those plays? Oh, sure. I have um, uh, one of the plays that I wrote. Uh, the only play that I didn't write from, from scratch was, you, you remember the Sylvester Stallone movie, uh, Oscar? It was a 1930s gangster farcical comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, I got permission uh, from, I got the rights from Paramount to adapt it to a play, which was titled, You're Giving, or it's just called You're Giving Me Agita. And uh, so I rewrote that. But plays that I've written myself from scratch include uh, Grandma Sunshine Storybook Theater Presents an, A Holiday in Oz or I'm Dreaming of a Witch Christmas. We affectionately <laughs> call it Christmas in Oz. Uh, where Dorothy goes back to Oz. So it's a parody of the Oz uh, stories. Um, one of the ones I'm very proud of is What If There Was This Kid, which uh, had its genesis back when I was at 
Second City, we did a um, uh, a scene, a musical scene, where uh, we the audience gave us a suggestion of a uh, musical style. They gave us opera, and then we asked for a problem that would happen in a small town, and they said racial prejudice. So we ended up improvising on the spot an opera where boy moved into our farming community and he had freckles and we didn't like that. Nobody in our town had freckles. So that was how he was racially different than us. So years later, I write this book, this play called, what if there was this kid? And I created a, a, um, uh, a racial stereotype of uh, kids who have these giant freckles on their face. They're really big freckles. And uh, so it's a, it's a farcical play that deals with some very strong satirical themes, including racial prejudice, dealing with schools that don't care about children. They only care about the administrative functions. Um, it's a great play. And at the end, uh, we have two endings. I won't divulge that. No. Um, but at the ending, every time we did a production, everybody in the house crying when they people leaving the hot leaving the theater they got they got their hankies out blowing their noses i was very proud of that play and i've written uh, quite a number of other other plays you're so incredibly prolific that's wonderful what a gift you've been given and you're giving to others with all your students that's and the what it's about giving i always tell i always tell people the way you learn something is you learn it you use it and then you give it away to others and then it's really yours that's a beautiful philosophy. I really appreciate that. So getting back to um, Second City, uh, Paul Sills was still around. Did you ever work with Paul Sills at all? No, I, 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 unfortunately, I never met him. I never met Carol. Uh, I, ha of course, have met her, uh, uh, Aretha. She, um, uh, in fact, she was here, I think it was last summer. It might have been the summer before that, uh, where it all started at, the, at Hull the, House. Chicago's Hull House. And she was offering a weekend intensive class. I signed up for that. Uh, and that's how I got to know her. And uh, had a lot of fun, learned a lot of things, uh, refreshed my memory on other things. And uh, now that they're back up in, in uh, Door County, I look forward to uh, maybe one of their summer intensives and si signing up for that. I sure hope so as well. It would be great. But when you were at Second City, the years that you were there, were there some of the famous people that were there, like you know Stephen Carell and some of the others? That yeah, I, when I when I was at Second City, they had, uh, as a student, uh, we had Steve uh, uh, Steve uh, Steve Carell, we had Stephen Colbert. Um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think who else we had. Uh, oh, Tina Fey, of course, Rachel Dratch, um, and uh, you know many many others. And um, I just love watching their work. I would. I would go, one of the neat things when you were a student is you, if they didn't have, if the house wasn't sold out, you can come in and see a show for free. So I would see three or four uh, shows a week, you know, at, to the point where I could probably get up and do most of the dialogue myself. But it really supplemented my training to see what they were doing. And every time I would see the same uh, sketches and blackouts, I would see something else, something else. I would learn something else, something I didn't notice the previous uh, time. And uh, I just love it. So to this day, uh, I still go to Second City. My wife, when 
especially if somebody's coming in from out of town, I'll always take them for an evening at Second City. That's beautiful. And were you at I.O. as well at some point? Or? No, I never took <laughs> I never took training at I.O., but I do have a little story. When um, Years ago when I had my dog training school, uh, I had the occasion to, uh, and this is well before I.O. started, I trained a uh, dog for Charna Halpern, and uh, she was in this condo out in the west suburbs. And, you know, I would come out to her house or place once a week for a, a class. So I was surprised years later when I got into improv to find out that there was a place called Improv Olympic, and it was owned by Charna Halpern. Uh, since then, uh, especially since my son trained there and was on a house team, I, uh, I've spent some time there. I've talked to Charna a number of times and I've been uh, invited to a few, uh, special occasions there. Uh, and I'm, I'm really saddened as it are many people that, uh, IO had to close, you know, so. Well, I spoke to her briefly. We've never done a podcast and. Oh, you should. Yeah, we hope to do so. And we were talking about her, the movie they were making about her and um, Dell. And uh, she said, she we were talking about, you know, who might play her. And she asked me who I thought. And I said, Rachel Drack, because I think she's such a great improviser and actor. Yeah, I can but, see Rachel doing that, yes. But Sharna didn't like the, she wanted a little bit more glamorous looking. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand that. Maybe uh, Amy Sedaris. Yes. Isn't she brilliant? I yeah, she was She was also on main stage when I was there. That's, oh, really? Oh, I just adore her. Adore her. In fact, um, I, I've been re-watching some of her. I'm being coached right now by Jay Suko. I don't know if you know him, but he's suggested Amy Sedaris, and I've been looking at a lot of her work. Um, yeah. I'm not sure when our podcast will come out, but last night was the Emmys. Um, and I don't know if you watched them, but I was so delighted that Schitt's Creek and Eugene Levy and Catherine oh, yeah. Guerra. I, yeah, I, I, I taped it, but this morning I uh, read all of the uh, results. And so I decided to erase it. Uh, but yeah, I was really surprised with uh, Schitt's Creek taking all those awards. It's amazing. It is amazing, and they—they're improvisers from Second City, Canada, I think. So exactly. there Very you much go. Too. There you go. Yep. So, what's next on your plate? I mean, you have a very full plate right now. What do you um? What do you really like to do for just fun? Oh, for fun, well, I work out. I have a gym in my uh, in my. I have a small studio at in our, in our home in Midlothian, Illinois, and in one corner, I have a gym. And uh, so I work out. I read a lot. I read. I read tons. I read. Uh, I'm always reading three books at the same time, uh, one novel and a couple of uh, nonfiction books. Uh, so I do a lot of reading um, along with my workout. My wife and I we like to travel. We like to go places. We unfortunately can't do that right now, uh, but we are planning a trip to Europe. A few countries that we want to see out over there. Um, uh, we, I do projects around the house, uh, you know, um, we've been remodeling some areas of our home and our landscaping and that, uh, I like to spend time with friends, old friends. I, be I've belonged to many organizations over the years. And, uh, a lot of those people come back to me and, uh, ask me to, uh, 
help put together one project or another. So I end up, I'm the guy who's in charge of my family reunion every couple of years. Uh, some of the organizations that I, that are, have folded, I'll put together reunions for them. Uh, so I, I keep very, very busy. <laughs> That's true. Well, what are you reading right now? Uh, right now I'm reading a book. Uh, do you remember the, mo the, the movie which came from a novel, The Martian, which starred, um, um, I forget who starred. They raised somebody. No, no, no. It starred, um, uh, gee, I, I can't think of his name right off the top of my head. But anyway, he, um, uh, uh, but anyway, the, this movie, The Martian, where the young uh, the astronaut was stranded for a year on, on Mars. You saw that movie? Was that Matt Damon, maybe? Yes, thank you. It was Matt Damon. And I read the book. Well, the same author, uh, who I can't remember his name, he wrote a book called Artemis, and so I'm in the middle of reading that, which is a, 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 a colony on the moon. Oh. Uh, with a female uh, character who is the who narrates uh, her situations uh, on the moon. I'm, so I'm reading that. Uh, I've read a lot lately, uh, books having to do with uh, uh, children, uh, specifically. Uh, two areas that I don't know if you're familiar with the orphan trains. Have you ever heard of the orphan trains? Yes, I have. Well, I've read, I've read, I've read six, seven different books having to do with that, uh, partly because it kind of ties into uh, the semi-autobiographical book I'm writing, um, Father, Sons, and Family Ghosts, that deals with uh, a, a father who was on the orphan train as a child but i've also been reading a uh, a lot uh from lisa wingate who has written a number of books about these children down in tennessee years ago who were kidnapped uh on their front lawns and wherever and sold uh to to you know uh, she would sell these children uh through a fictitious adoption agency and it was, it's just very interesting reading these true stories. And uh, she also wrote a novel based upon some of the true stories. And uh, when the last time I was down in Memphis, I took my sister down to see Graceland, uh, which was a special occasion for her. She, uh, we wanted to stop by one of the cemeteries where a lot of these children were buried when they didn't get uh, adopted. And uh, we just didn't have time. But the next time I get to Memphis, I definitely want to go see the monument to these children. I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier, and that was story theater. And of course, you know, Paul Sills created story theater. And there are some, <coughs> I think, Canadian videos available somewhere of his story theater. Did you uh, study that at all? I mean, no, I didn't I... work with Paul, but. No, I did not. Right. No. But you do fairy tales. I think I read Alice in Wonderland was one of the plays you did at My Covered Bridge. Was that? Uh, yeah, I've I've I've, uh, I've I've directed Alice in Wonderland twice. Yeah, twice I think for two different organizations. So I know COVID uh, pandemic has affected all of us, um, not being able to see family or close friends. But how has it affected your teaching, and how are you adapting your teaching to Zoom or whatever platform you're using? Well, we had to can we had to cancel a lot of classes in the early uh, stages of the COVID virus. 
Um, and then we started teaching online, which has worked out well. When we resumed uh, last, uh, during the summer, we resumed back at our theater uh, in Tenley Park. We uh, had protocol, our protocol was that everybody had to wear masks. We had to minimize the number of students we would accept at a time. They had to maintain social distancing. Uh, we had to uh, disinfect before and after the class, anything we touched, and we're still doing that now. So um, it, 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 the only difficulty is with, some, especially teaching children, if I have, ch some children have tiny voices and I'm really teaching them how to project, but with the masks on, it creates more of a problem. And for me, you know, my, uh, from my years in the war and explosions around me, I have hearing loss. So like right now I don't have hearing aids on, but when I'm teaching, I have to really have to wear my hearing aids so that I can hear, you know, hear my students. So, but well, you know, some people are using the face shields. I, you know, you can use the face shield with a mask. Yeah, we're, but we're, we're just wearing masks. Mask. Okay. That's great. Well, yeah. this has been such a delightful, I, I'd like to ask you before we close, um, if you have any insider wisdom to anybody who's starting improv, you know, I started as a senior person myself, um, but I wondered if you had anything you could say uh, about improv to new newbies or anybody. Yeah, I, I, uh, what comes to mind is uh, I remember in my third level at Players Workshop in Second City, after class, we'd go down the street to a bar and hang out. And our instructor, Tony Alcantar, would go down with us. And as I said earlier, Tony is the voice coach now for the, uh, for the Fargo TV series. Mm. And uh, so one day, Tony and I went down there together. And he says, you know, I know that you're taking these classes to enhance your writing skills. He said, but... He says, you and I, he says, we're never going to be the leads, the romantic leads in movies and that. He says, we're character actors. He says, one thing with character actors is they work more than a lot of these leads. They're in every other movie. He says, remember William Demarest? He was in every other movie back in the day. He got a lot of work. And he said, he said this is what's going to happen to you. He said, you're taking these classes to enhance your writing but you're going to find doors opening. He says, and I, and I challenge you to walk through those doors and see what's on the other side. And I really took that to heart and I've walked through those doors and I've had a lot of uh, success with that. And I've had a lot of experiences as we've talked about because of Tony's uh, uh, challenge. And so I challenge people who are going to get into improv, uh, who are taking their classes for whatever reason, to be open, be open to what comes next, open to be open to doors that uh, you find yourself at and go through them. But I also suggest just have fun, just ha have fun, let, let it be fun for you. And the fun will lead to some amazing things. Thank you. Well, it's been wonderful talking with you. And I want to thank you so much for your time. And I can't wait to study with you. Looking forward to it. I hope you'll take one of my classes from me. My I, I plan on it. Thank you so much, Daniel DeWalt. Bless you. Thank you very much.
Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and look forward to you joining us next time on Improv Interviews with Margot Escott.